What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of Action Movie Anatomy here on the Popcorn Talk Network, chatting with what I believe is one of the more underrated movies of all time today, Road to Perdition. We are going to break the whole thing down for you guys. We'll see you in just one quick second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. We came in on the beat this time. Yes, we did. I don't know if you guys recognize this song. It's from a little album I like to call The Chronic. 2001. It uh, was released in the year 2000. And it also plays every time that we enter the entrance, the arena of the, the Schmodown, and every time that we start this show. When we go to win matches, this is the song you hear. Yeah. We destroyed deep cuts. The janitors, Tab and Eric, uh, they tried really hard, and it was great for them. Uh, but in all sincerity... Fad and Aaron. I think it's the first time I've ever called them by their real name. They're awesome guys. We're super excited to be here, and we got another match coming up, right? We have another match coming up in the pre uh, the pre show here. Andrew was writing something on his piece of paper here and trying to show it to me for me to like you know not ask. And it looks like he just wrote steak with any underlined it. I did. And then I looked at him puzzled, and he really made the T in steak notable and underlined it and it still looks like steak it just says steak i haven't <laughs> I, even told him why i don't know what he's getting at so uh <laughs> welcome to the show guys welcome to action movie anatomy we're here to uh to break down movies break down action movies we talk action movies here on the popcorn talk network the online broadcast network dedicated to talking pop culture by the bucketful so uh guys it's it's road to perdition today this is a movie that you may you may hear and say that is not an action movie and the reason is this we did 100 episodes of this show. We did. With the, the, the premise that we were going to do mostly movies that were driven by action. And we found over that 100 episodes that a lot of the movies we loved, we actually loved the spots between the action more than the action itself. Yeah, absolutely. And it was more about this feeling that you're... You, that the movie creates for you. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's about the feeling that you get while watching the movie. It's not really about the action scenes. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through and watch a lot of movies. The Town is a great example of a yeah. movie that it's like, we, we say it feels like it should be on our show. Yep, Even totally. though it doesn't necessarily follow the rules Which is of our show. funny, because in the beginning, guys, for a lot of you that have listened or watched since the very beginning know that the old days were a lot of movies like Under Siege and Point Break and Predator and, like, yeah. classics. Even going into the more, like, modern era of movie making, like John Wick, where... They very much just like fit that profile of if you looked at a list online of the greatest action movies. Yeah. That's what we thought we were going to do the show about. And, and what we, we found... We, honestly, we did do that show. A lot of it. <clears throat> and what we found over time, though, was that Andrew and I loved movies that were driven by moments and drama as much as the action. So we sort of expanded to movies that have enough action in them to make them feel like our show. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the coolest thing about this movie is that although there is little action in it, the action is also very effective. Yeah. Super effective. So, Road to Perdition, guys. Uh, one of the movies that... Another movie I saw in theaters with my dad. Super uh, weird, man. <laughs> this one's not as crazy because it's, yeah. it's still intense. Oh, two. Yeah, this was like a super cool one for us to go see. I remember these years. And, uh, yeah, we're excited to talk about this. So, guys, here we are. It's Action Movie Anatomy. If you want to follow along with the conversation, there's a couple ways to do it. You can find me personally on Twitter at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find our Facebook fan page uh, on it. Uh, it's called Action Movie Anatomy Fan Page. I don't know what's wrong with me today. I think yeah. I'm very excited. Struggling, yeah. I really am. <laughs> uh, it's called the Action Movie Anatomy Fan Page. You guys can find it on Facebook, and it's been growing rapidly, exponentially. I think we've gotten uh, 200 people in the last, I think, four weeks is what yeah. I sent you. And this was started just by a couple of our fans on the show, uh, you know, Richard and Eddie and Jay Clymer. Yeah. And... Uh, 
honestly, guys, you did such a great job starting this thing that we should have started clearly two years ago because it's like the most interactive thing we've ever created. Like it took us, it took us like two years to get 500 Twitter followers. We have like as many people in this group in like four weeks. Yeah, and they're they're always interacting. Uh, and you can also find our podcast at AMA Podcast on Twitter. Absolutely, guys. So that's the best way to, uh, to to catch up with the conversation. So a uh, lot going on. We're going to get straight into it. But before we do, we should remind you guys that we cover action movies on this show, and those action movies adhere to four basic rules. Uh, rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Michael Sullivan's the smartest guy in the room, which is rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, things, beings, what have you, in the room. And it's interesting because although Paul Newman and Daniel Craig are the, I guess, more villain they're like the, the true villains jude law is the more traditional action movie villain in this totally and, and he's, he's the smartest guy in the room in the sense that he's very capable absolutely i mean you see what happens at the end of the film and he also was written into this script he was yeah. not in the original uh book so he was he was very necessary rule number three the movie is driven by police military political or mercenary figure uh when we say political it means they could be the man or work for the man i.e they could be an mta officer in the taking of pelham one two three ben's favorite movie of all time <laughs> I, I can't get a gal i can get it i can get a half gallon why <laughs> you bring me milk. Uh, <laughs> you, go stri- you go straight at the hurdles. You go straight at the hurdles. <laughs> you tell it yourself. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Just had a stroke. Uh, and uh, rule number four: the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. So uh, I think you know rule number three: he's a mercenary in the yeah, sense he's that he works for the mob, and uh, contains a minimum of one explosion. Is there an explosion? I feel like there's an explosion. Oh, maybe there's not actually. There's an explosion of a glass jar in a Jula's face. Yeah, right? I don't think there's an explosion in this movie. Nothing gets lit on fire. Yeah, I was trying to think about it. There's always like some sort of like explosion with alcohol and, and like movies that took place think? in the prohibition. I don't know, guys. Uh, let us know if there is a uh, explosion in this movie. I can't. I can't really think of it. Yeah. So uh, those are the four rules of action movie anatomy, guys. We we usually try to hit at least three of them these days. Yes, but, we do. But uh, coming up on today's show, we have a bunch of things to talk about. We are going to be talking about ageless movie stars. Who are the definitive ageless movie stars of all time that have had the most, the widest, most incredible careers? We're going to be ranking Sam Mendes' films. Uh, see, I think he has like eight or nine films now. So we're going to talk about a collaborative ranking there. We're going to answer some awesome AMA questions, and of course, do all the other games you guys are used to hearing thesis statement favorite line fist pump moment let's get straight into the show guys and let's watch the trailer before we get to fist pump moment did i say prohibition or probation i don't know it wasn't i'm not really sure <laughs> i said prohibition i can't come to your i don't remember the trailer tonight i'm working looking at what what's papa's job this is the song right? mr rooney that's the one they put who's got a hug for a lonely old man Papa didn't have a father, so Mr. Rooney looked after him. You rule this town as God rules the earth. I love Mr. Rooney. We had nothing. He gave us a home. A life. Oh. <laughs> That's a pretty great trailer. missions for Mr. Rooney. Yeah. Take Mike with you. Not Pond. Take Mike with you. Daniel it Craig's really such a fuck in this movie. That's why he brings you. He's gun. great. He is really good. Even the very first scene. I'm busy. So his accent doesn't is not as clean all the way through as yeah, for sure. Newman's Newman's is fantastic. My son, a man of honor, always keeps his word. Michael, tomorrow when they find out we're gone, they're gonna come after us. I have to protect you now. It's a good trailer. Yeah, it's I really good. I apologize, especially to you, Pa. You would like to apologize? 
Sons are put on this earth to trouble their fathers. Yeah. Natural law. You gotta take him now. I know who to call. There's a guy who's done some work for us in the past. The trailer should have ended right now. Though. Yeah, I, you love. it's too long. Well, That's it's interesting movie. because I recently watched the Goodfellas trailer. Yeah. And it's three minutes long. Huh. How long is this one? It's like this two, is, 240? This is less than 240, or less than two so far, but... How long is it, Steve? Yeah, that's way too much. Yeah, this needed to be like a minute 25. Well, I mean, even if you're going to do a minute 54, this is way too much of the story, for yeah. sure. What are you going to do? Just one last thing, and then it's done. Yeah. Hanks and his fucking prime. Yeah, I mean, his prime. He had so many primes. He did. Yeah, he had. He had a solid like fifteen-year prime. <laughs> yeah. Jude, well, Laws, Jude Law's in a uh, very interesting. He's great in this. Oh, he's. A, he, I actually really like Jude Law in general. Yeah. Come on. They give way too much away. Yeah. Uh, so not a fan of the trailer, even no. though it starts off. Fantastic. The first minute of that trailer. I feel like that you could have done a one-minute teaser for that, and it would have been... Totally. Uh, and, I, and it was interesting, because I wanted to talk about the trailer, because I didn't remember watching it, and I don't remember this movie, like, coming out. Really? Yeah, not really. I, I, I don't remember seeing that trailer. I yeah. never remember watching it. I think it was marketed... I think it was marketed well, because I'm sure the other trailers were much more of a tease than that. Yeah. Uh, so... This is perfect because I want to get into the, our next segment because I, I really have a lot to say about my uh, with my thesis today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, guys, the thesis statement is the part of the show where if you've watched or listened before, you know we share a big bold thought, something that's almost rooted in hyperbole, the greatest this, the only this, the first time something's happened, and you really want to back it up with your points all throughout the episode. And uh, you know, it's it's not <laughs> supposed to be this is my favorite thing this actor's ever been in, or uh, you know, this shootout was one of the coolest ones I've seen in my lifetime. Like. It really should be a little bit more definite than that. You want to be able to back this up. If somebody asks you about the movie at a party, this is where you go. So, Mr. Andrew Guy, what do you got? So, I had a a few that I went back and forth between, but the one that I really stuck with is that this movie is the... The legacy of this film is the biggest anomaly that we've ever had on this show. It makes no sense to me why this movie is so forgotten... Why no one talks about it. Yeah. Why it's not considered one of Hanks' and, and Newman's best performances. It's by Sam Mendes the year after, I mean, not the year, the movie after uh, American Beauty came out, which is only three years later. Yep. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I'll jump in with mine because it's very much in the same world, which is uh, my thesis statement for this film is that this is the most underrated film of Tom Hanks' career. And it's, uh, I, you know, when we, we had this conversation last night where we were obviously attacking the same idea from different sides. Yeah. And I looked through his films, and, I, and it wasn't even a question of quality of the other films. It was a question of the quality of this film. And everything you just said, to add to those things, you can start. You can really go down the list. You mentioned this is, the, this is the next film, the follow-up to American Beauty, one of the most beloved Best Picture winners, really, of its era. Right. This is Paul Newman's last on-screen speaking performance, uh, for which he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And he lost that year to Chris Cooper, for for uh, adaptation, who is Which great, is very good. He's very good in that, but it's I don't know. It, I feel like Chris Cooper is more of a caricature, whereas Newman is like a believable, believable character. And Newman's just so good in this movie. Yeah, you text me. I was just pulling up this up. You, pull, you text me last night at one a.m. being like, "Perdition is a low key masterpiece." What's not good about it? Right, and I mean, if you think about, there's so many things that should make this movie more loved and more popular, right? So Hanks in at the, it's the tail end of his real prime, like yeah. the like 
the like you know 90 91 92 93 to like oh three oh four kind of kind of era that's like when tom hanks was doing like the meat of his stuff and this is this is a couple years after castaway castaway's 2000 this yeah. is 2002 like he was making this is the same year as catch me if you can can you believe that yeah i think the two most underrated movies of his whole career came out the same year that's that's actually a hundred percent true because he's excellent in catch me if you can so good uh, yeah, man. I mean, and it, it it really it's it's just it makes no damn sense. None at all. And and, and the other things to add to it. Uh, I'm sorry. What's his name again? Cody Hall? No, not Cody Hall. That's the guy in the Conrad. 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 L Hall. L Hall. He. Uh, we got two people in here talking about how it's the greatest cinematography in a film ever. maybe ever. It's so incredible. Conrad L Hall. You told me this great story yeah. about uh, Conrad. You can just tell it now, actually. Yeah, it was just. It's in the trivia on, on IMDb, and it was. It's this really cool moment. And um, Conrad Hall was sitting, setting up a shot of Newman. Yep. And this is obviously while he was still alive. I, I thought it was. It was after he died because of the way that it's worded. Um, but then I had to have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. And so he's setting up the shot for Newman. And he pulls away from the lens and he's crying. Yeah. And someone asks him, what's up, man? You yeah. Know, what's going on? And, and all he says is, he was so beautiful. He was so beautiful. Yeah. And it's and like, it, it gives me chills even talking about it because it speaks volumes about where Hall is in his life and his yeah. career, watching him grow up. Uh, I mean, he grew up watching Newman, you're saying. Like, he grew up wanting to be a cinematographer or, like, becoming a cinematographer, mastering his skill while watching Newman, one of the greatest actors of all time. So they were both in their late 70s when they filmed this movie. Mm -hmm. um, I think Conrad L. Hall was, like, maybe 76 when he made it, and I think Newman was 77. Yeah. And uh, there's a relationship between Conrad L. Hall and Paul Newman because this is the last film either of them ever did and on screen for Newman. He was in Cars. But... Um, Going back to the beginning of Newman's career and some of the movies that made him so famous, Conrad L. Hall was also the cinematographer on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yep. He was the cinematographer, I believe, on perhaps The Sting and at least one other very famous Paul Newman movie. Um, he, he worked with Newman in the early, Cool Hand Luke. That's the movie I was yeah, thinking of. Yeah, so he, he literally watched him age through the lens. Yeah, and I think it's it really speaks volumes to the presence of Paul Newman and also how tragic it must be to have worked alongside someone for so long. And you, Newman's the best part of this movie. I think we can both agree. Yeah, and, it's, and, and again, it's the same thing that you said before about not speaking to Hanks' other films being poor. Yeah. Because the other performances in this movie are fantastic. Every other leading man, including Michael, yeah. are excellent. Everybody, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it's like there's a, there's a real, there's a real uh, like a lifespan you can see in Newman's eyes, and there's a sadness to him in all the scenes that he's deliberating over what he's supposed to do with his son, with his actual son, Connor Rooney. And, but even in the beginning of the film, when he isn't so in such a tragic character, he just looks so defeated and old. And yeah, he has so much character on his face, but the bottom line is he's almost 80. So <laughs> I, can, I can understand that story and what it means, and... Um, it's just, yeah, anyway, but all the things we were mentioning yeah. in our thesis statements about this being such an underrated film, you can even continue to go down the list, and it's, it's, things, like, it's things like hiring Paul Newman and Tom Hanks, two Oscar winners, to lead the film. And Jude Law is this, like, hot, up-and-coming, sexy dude. Oscar nominated, yep. Jennifer Jason Lee, Oscar nominated, yep. Stanley Tucci, I believe Oscar nominated. Uh, the, I mean, Sam Mendes, the follow-up to him winning Best Picture at the time, the second youngest director ever to win Best Director. You continue going down the list. It's like Conrad L. Hall, one of the most legendary cinematographers. The music in this film. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was another thing that I'd missed in here is people were saying that this is one of the greatest original soundtracks ever. The song Road to Perdition, the actual main track, it plays in the scene where 
plays three different times in the movie. It plays especially in the scene where Hanks is recovering from the gunshot. Yeah. Um, is I listen to like I have a I have a Spotify playlist called Beautiful Scores with about 120 specific songs. <laughs> And I usually listen to it in the background while I do work, just because it yeah. doesn't distract me. I have a similar playlist. Yeah, this is the this is like one of the marquee songs. I've I've probably heard the song a thousand times. It's it's beautiful. We wanted to open the show to it, <laughs> but it's a little low energy yeah, to start our show energy. off. So, um, so yeah, guys, if you guys have any other thesis statements, let us know in the chat. And thanks to everyone that is in the live chat. We're really happy to have you there. I see a couple new names. There's a lot of great discussion going on. Uh, anytime we talk about anything on the show. Yeah, you know, chat along with us, and I'm very happy to bring it up as long as I see it. Uh, all right, let's move on, brother. Totally. I even just last thought on it. Even the subject matter, crime films, they're so oh, yeah, they're so palatable. Like people love crime movies. How did this movie not catch hold more? You know, I'm actually going to just mention this because we got a we got a new guy in here, Barry O'Mac. Yeah, Jesus, it's a beautiful long name. <laughs> I'm just going to say Barry O'Mac, uh, and he says it's it's a genre that passes by the mainstream, and he. He references Live by Night as another movie that was good, but mainly forgotten. Yeah. I, I liked Live by Night fine. Um, but it's odd because we're also obsessed with crime drama. Yeah. Like Goodfellas. You know, like movies, there's so many great crime dramas that we just love. I think today, I think it's a genre that has be, become a caricature of itself. It became so oversaturated with films like, with, with the show public like enemies. The Sopranos running and all. Yeah, I think people were trying to make these movies, and I think the, the public got over it a little bit. But O2 is still early on enough. It's 15 years ago at this point where I don't think we were there yet. Like, Live by Night to me feels like I'm watching a movie where I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. It's kind of like when you watch The Rise and Fall of a Drug Kingpin type of movie. Now it's like, I've seen that story too many times to get, like, super invested anymore. I just recently called you to talk to you that I'd watched uh, The Drop. Yeah. And, again, great actors. Yeah. Great movie. But it's just all too similar. Yeah. Yeah, it's just too easy. It's too it's on just the too nose. easy. Everything I'm like, I told you, and I'm not a person that likes to be like, oh, I, I, I know what's going to happen to this. I can guess the plot of this movie. I like to be surprised by movies. I yeah. like to enjoy them. I like to be kind of naive while watching. Um, I don't like to let things go past me, but at yeah. the same time, you know, so it was just one of those things where it was a good movie, but it was very by the numbers, whereas this movie hits in every way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, moving into the next part of the show, guys, what we have coming up next is called Fist Pump Moment. If you've watched or listened to the show before, you know yes. Fist Pump Moment's that thing that happens in the movie where you look around and you're like, are you seeing this right now? This is unbelievable. I get to watch the rest of this movie. This is crazy. Yeah, you want to like stop it and rewind it. You want to make sure the person that was sitting next to you watching saw it. Yeah. So for me, this is a hard one because you and I, I think we have the same favorite line probably, and it really is one of the situations where it doubles as my fist pump. So I, I knew you were going to say that. But I actually do have a real fist pump. Me too. Yeah. I changed mine because oh I want to say it. not be the damn same one. What it is probably yours? is. What is it? It's, it's the scene in the rain. Oh, no, it's oh, not. Good. For me, my, scene. my fist pump moment is, yeah, it's that incredible Conrad L. Hall cinematography. It's just so perfect where yeah. Hanks has the interaction with Newman and he basically gives him the ultimatum. And Newman leaves the scene by saying, you know, if you leave, I'll mourn the loss of my, I'll, I'll mourn the loss of my son. Yeah, and which is... God, that's such a great line. So, yeah, heartbreaking, incredible scene. Because you don't know, you don't know who he's talking about. Yeah, he's either talking about Craig or he's talking about Hanks. And you know, Hanks, Hanks goes and he gets the gun and he says, "Just one more thing." And and I love the way that scene happens. That it's all silent, and they come out, and Newman's knocking on the window, and he sees the guy in the car, and he's been killed. And he just, yeah. He, he and he comes back for a second, and he realizes, and the sound, they, they, it's just, it's just the sound of the water. Yeah, I believe, or it's just music. And 
then you start to see the gun, the lights in the distance yeah, go off. Flashing. And it's just amazing as each of these guys one at a time falls, but of course Newman doesn't. And I love that they choose to do that, that it's not like Newman takes a stray bullet, but he's still standing up. Yeah, you don't want, it. You don't want that. Because Hanks is also, you're, he's, he's a master yeah. of what he does. He's a master of his craft. And you see it exactly when Daniel Craig at the beginning of the movie loses his temper. Hanks already knows it's probably going to happen. He yep. reminds him, it's like, we're just going to talk. Yep. And you see he, he, he reacts instantly, without hesitation, yep. to, to the two guys that are there to back up. I always forget the guy's name that uh, plays... Oh, Finn Al- McGovern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Kieran, so, K- K- Kieran Hines, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kieran Hines. Um, yeah, so do you want to... Is, so that, that, is, that, is that it? Really, that's... And then when he obviously... And the scene ends with him you know, saying, I'm glad it's you, Michael, which is... Yeah. Which is like one of the, it's one of those moments, that I think it's one of the few criticisms I have of the movie, because it's a great line, but at the same time, it feels somewhat unrealistic. It's kind of like, it's that sense of calm that cool guys get to have in cool movies. It's like, yeah. when you're about to die, you don't say something like that. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. It's like very Hollywood, but yeah. you, you're like not mad no, at it? No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, a couple things I just want to pop up or read about real quick. The piano duet scene. Uh, the scene speaks volumes and shows a relationship without saying a single word, yep. which also has the great line uh, by Daniel Craig. Yeah, why it's are you always smiling? Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's also fucking hysterical. Yeah. Uh, just a great, great line. Um, and then uh, when he holds the banker at gunpoint. Yeah. Is that, is the banker, which one's the banker? You're talking about when, when probably when Hanks robs him, he says, no, you keep that. Oh, that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably what he's talking about. Uh, so my fist pump moment is actually when he flips the piece of paper over that says, Oh yeah. You know, kill Sullivan and all debts are paid. Yeah. Which is in the actual book or comic. It says all sins are forgiven. Yeah. Which I like that more, but I get it. Sometimes you got to like be on the nose for your audience, but I, that whole scene is awesome. And it yeah. starts off with like one of the first fist pumps, which is like, are you going to frisk me? Yeah. It's like, should, should I? It's yeah. Like, Probably. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and Probably should. I yeah. just have one. You know, and, it, and, he, and he's not lying. Right. That's the other thing is, I, I, it's been so long since I'd watched it, I'd forgot that Hanks actually wasn't lying when he said he just had one. Yeah, right. He goes for he, the guy's yeah, gun. That's he how he the other guy's gun. Yeah. Uh, but I just love that scene. It's such a great scene. It's really intense, and those are the type of scenes we talk about that make you feel like you're watching an action movie, even though it's like a drama. Um, it's funny you say that because the one thing about this movie, if I had to point to one reason why it isn't, oh, God damn it, you say you don't like it. What? Oh no, go ahead. No, the literally the only thing I was going to say and I think you'll agree and I know this is one of the criticisms of this movie is that the only thing that doesn't land for some people is the idea that this nice guy Tom Hanks is this imposing basically evil gangster character who's murdered a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, that he doesn't have the presence of that he doesn't have that kind of presence and it's I think it's fine. Like I like it actually, but I was going to say the one thesis statement that I really thought about using and, and maybe would have should have used is um, the role of Michael Sullivan should have been played by Russell Crowe. It's pretty much a slam dunk on every level. It's where he was in his career. He yeah. has the physicality that, that Hanks doesn't have. He feels like he can play evil like more completely. It's just, I, I wonder if this movie would be an all-time movie if Russell Crowe had played Michael Sullivan. It's the one thing I think about. I love that. Right? I think that's brilliant. Like, I'm really glad we're not doing recast because you would have destroyed me. I would. I hope I would have came to that upon conclusion. that. 
But uh, yeah, that's great, man. That is a really good thesis, and I and I, I have nothing to say. I yeah. just completely agree. It's like I don't know that the movie would have been better, but it's I I. But how could it not have been? Yeah, because all the things that you would complain about with Hanks, Crow covers. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. Yeah, you want him to be that way. Yeah. Whereas like with Hanks, you really it. Hanks is the thing that that's cool about it, and it's the same thing that is the reason we all love Tom Hanks is he's the everyman. Yeah. That we all love, and it's the kind of the thing. It's like. You hope there's people like that in yeah, crime that right. just get it. He's still ruthless. He's still a killer, but he's got morals. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like I guess I guess the difference is that you feel like Hanks, you feel like Hanks um, respects and treats Paul Newman like. I guess you feel like the reason he is what he is is because he feels like he owes a debt to someone, not because yeah. he's evil at heart, but he has his loyalty runs so deep that that's why he does what he does. And so anyway, that was just my thought, but. Uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great scene. Like Yeah, it, it's a, it's an excellent scene and um I just love it. It's just really ruthless and just like it's what I wanted. It's, he just it, takes them both out. Yeah. Done. Instant pop in the head, reads the note and and then he just jets home. Yeah. Again, this movie's so good. Yeah, it all really right, is. Let's move on. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to get in a little bit of star profiles here, talk about where these guys were in their careers. We mentioned Hanks a little bit, uh, the prime of his career, uh, beginning in 1999, Toy Story 2, following that up with Green Mile in 19... In, sorry, 1999, and... Uh, I said 1992. <laughs> Toy Story 2 in 99. And uh, finally cast away in 2000, and then this was the next film he did. It looks like he took a year off. He didn't do anything in 2001, but he had Catch Me If You Can and this film both released in 2002. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, we talk about the, we talk about Primes, Toy Story 2, Green Mile, Castaway. Like, Hanks was just, yeah. and then Catch Me If You Can in this movie. He was just slaying it. That's five in a row that are just like. This is like already after he'd won back-to-back Oscars. Yeah. You know, like, he, it's, this is great because it's going to lead into our discussion. So I want to talk about Newman now. Uh, so Newman, obviously, he was, he was much older. He was working still kind of consistently at this point, you know, yeah. so he did. Yeah. Twilight in uh, 1998, not to be confused with the other Twilight. Uh, Message in a Bottle in 1999, and Where the Money Is in 2000. And so this brings forth the conversation, which is great because you actually just referenced the other thesis you had, and I actually have another great thesis to introduce our next segment. And the other thesis I had was that this movie stars two of the great timeless actors ever. Yeah. Two of the greatest. And um, you mentioned that in our tease, you teased it in the beginning of the show that we were going to talk about these timeless greats yeah i think if the discussion is who were the most timeless ageless movie stars of all time maybe the conversation starts with paul newman um you know in my personal opinion i'll I'll jump in i think we're gonna each throw a few names out there newman to me is the ultimate all-time guy uh and for so many reasons for for the reasons that he wasn't just a great actor he became a national treasure in the same way that when ronald reagan was elected president like you imagine Paul Newman maybe could have done the same thing. In, yeah, that's an interesting point. He he raced cars. His his uh, his car racing and his collection was was legendary. He was just like a badass in general. And I mean, he had. I had never really been a fan of Paul Newman in the sense of like watching his films. Yeah. Even though my mom liked him, uh, but I always knew right that he was one of the greatest, coolest dudes ever to walk the earth. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't realize because Paul Newman's career, uh, a lot of his famous movies, like he won his Best Actor in 1986, and you know The Sting is 1973, Butch Cassidy is 1969. People don't realize Paul Newman got his first Oscar nomination for HUD in 1957. He, <laughs> this movie came out in 2002. Yeah, he's, he was consistently acting since like the early 50s. 
Like Paul Newman, had, Paul Newman had a career, like a legitimate, dramatic, slam dunk type of career as the most handsome, charismatic, charming leading man for 50 years. For 50 actual years. Yeah. Mind blowing. And, and, and so this begins the discussion of who else can and has done this. Because you even throw in the Brandos and, and the Steve McQueens of the world and their, their careers just aren't as full. No. No, I mean, people, yeah, people, uh, people, you know, kind of achieve their fame at different times. But when you achieve it and you maintain longevity, it's a completely different conversation. So we're going to run through a few guys right now. Yeah, so your first one was Newman, and it's because you've been a, fan of, a huge fan of uh, Paul Newman since I, since I met you yep. in your whole life. So the one that I think is interesting is kind of on the other side of that is Nicholson. Yeah. Nicholson has been around forever. Now, I know he's really getting towards the end of his career, and you can even see it in The Departed, yeah. which is like, that's, you know... It's ten years ago. So it's still ten years ago. He's, you're like, damn, you're getting old, man. Yep. Uh, but he's still fantastic, and he's still at the top of his game. A, a Jack or a Jack Nicholson film coming out now, I think it would start to really feel that way when you watch him on screen. Where you, it's like the Gene Hackman thing that happened when you saw him on screen and you were like, "Damn, you got old really fast." Yeah, um, Nicholson's amazing because he was never the heartthrob, even though he was a really good-looking guy. Yeah, and I and I always like to refer to Guy Pierce as another really good-looking guy that was never the heartthrob because he's just kind of got this look about it. He's got that "I want to punch you" face. Yeah, like yeah. he's kind of a prick. Yeah, uh, but I love Nicholson. I think he's got an incredible career, and um, I think he's I think he will really go down as one of the timeless greats. And in the same way that when you talk about his career, like really going back. Films like Five Easy Pieces and like he's he goes into the late fifties, early sixties, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he also worked consistently his whole career, whole career, doing everything. Yeah, he was famous for fifty years. Um, still is. Yeah. So I would say the next one on my list is, is a little a little younger. It's George Clooney. Um, Clooney, I think, in a lot of ways, has the Newman effect in the sense that he's like the most charming man alive. Like he's got the he's got that part of Newman's fame down to a T. Yeah. He's the guy. He's the guy with the million dollar smile that always he, like he plays the smartest guy in the room, the charismatic anything better than most anybody that's ever lived. He's he's about as good as it gets in our generation for that guy. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting cuz you you mentioned this when we were like prepping the show and it's not that I disagree with you. Yeah. I just am not fully on board. I I I think that if Clooney ends his career strong. He doesn't even have to like do anything crazy. If he just ends it strong, yeah. 100% I agree cuz Clooney's a, is just a timeless guy. He was he was the biggest movie star in the world when we were growing up. Yeah, you know? I, I believe that George Clooney, uh, I don't really see him totally slowing down. And I think if he has seven or eight more like notable movies, like really movies that stand out in their given year over the next two decades, and he, he carries that into his 70s, mm -hmm. he will be on this list as one of the ten best ever. And I think, I think he will. I just yeah. He doesn't strike me as a guy who's getting any worse as he gets older. So one thing that you notice about Clooney when you watch him is there was late 90s Clooney. There was, like, you know, Out of Sight and Batman and all those type of movies. Yes. And then the nipples. there was the mid-2000s Clooney where he wins the Oscar for, like, Syriana, movies like that. <laughs> and you started to see it in, like, The Descendants and Up in the Air – He's starting to age into the kind of like grizzled dad a little bit, but yeah. he's he's every bit as convincing. He doesn't he's not the young brash guy anymore. Now he's like just that guy you see it in his face and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's he really is a, a phenomenal actor as well. Um so my next one is Hanks, and I'm just gonna skip over him because we've already talked about him a lot. Yeah. Uh, I just think He's had an incredible career. He's won back-to-back -back Oscars. That's only been done a handful of times, and he's continues to make movies, even though the, this latter part of his career is kind of 
been a little weaker. I mean, a lot weaker than the beginning of his career. It doesn't mean that when Tom Hanks movies come out, they're not going to be good in the same sense as now when you see a Nick Cage movie come out. It's kind of a joke. It's bad, yeah. When a Tom Hanks movie comes out, it can still be a Best Picture nominee. Totally. Well, Always I'm, happens. The, you know, like all the guys that we grew up watching thinking they were all going to age into this, it was hard, to, hard for us to fathom as we were growing up that Bruce Willis and Nick Cage and Mel Gibson, and that all of these guys were going to just be staples. Most of them have fallen way down the totem pole. Yeah. And it's they're not the same as they were when we were growing up. And that's what happens. It's not easy to be one of these guys that has the 30 to 50-year career. So uh, I think you you said it best before we started this, which is that if Hanks died tomorrow. Yeah, and it always sucks to bring death into this. But it, it is a feeling with, like, losing a national treasure. And, and, and I'll speak to when Hoffman and Williams died around the same time. It felt around the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you, Hoffman's one of the greatest actors ever. Yep. And his death, I think, goes kind of forgotten a lot of the time by by the general public. Yeah. Whereas, like, when Williams died, it was like, oh, my God, we'd lost a national treasure. And and I and I just don't think that um, Hoffman reached that level because even though Williams wasn't as, around for 50 years, his what he did, like, from being Aladdin yeah. to being in Insomnia to doing Goodwill Hunting, it's just like the guy was, I think the guy was, I think, Williams is one of these guys. Yeah, Williams got Williams got there. Uh, he was he's like a national treasure. Like I think if you were going to try to really do the all time top ten, I think it's he's not in there. I it's don't think. hard to make the list for anything. But yeah. um, PSH you just mentioned, and I think the r- biggest reason that Philip Seymour Hoffman feels like he's um, he becomes a tragic story less than an icon is because he only really was doing work for fifteen years. And he had an amazing fifteen years, but he really only was working from the late nineties to when he when he passed. So. Um, yeah. You know, that's really only, like, just over 15 years. Yeah. So, so what about your last guy? Like, someone who's... What about someone that's, like, still working a lot? Because Clooney's kind of stopped working as much. He's... I mean, yeah, he still works. I would say the, the other comp... We, all these names of guys we talk about, it's not Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> Tom Cruise. My other guy's Denzel Washington. Okay, yeah. And Denzel, for me, is another guy where, okay, we talk about Denzel's hero career, his 2000s career, and his late 90s career, mm-hmm. the movies that we remember. We don't talk a lot about his 80s career. His 80s and his mid-90s career. Yeah, we, forget. we just don't know it that well. Or I don't know it that well. He was nominated for Cry Freedom in 1987. He got nominated for Best Actor for Malcolm X in 92. It was one of the great travesties is that Al Pacino beat him for Son of a Woman. People people talk about that to this day yeah. as one of the all-time misses the Academy had. This guy, this guy won Best Supporting Actor for Glory in 1989. Like, he's got a run from the mid-80s till now. Denzel's got over 30 years of primetime movie experience... <laughs> And he just got nominated for Best Actor last year. Look, man, you don't got to convince me. I love me some Denzel. Ten, and I, 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 I 100% agree. If Denzel works for 10 more years, and he does 10 more years of solid movies, Equalizer 2 thrown in there, a couple more hero movies, plus like maybe, you know, maybe the aging boxing trainer movie or some other cliche like that. But, right. You know, a couple other big movies. No question, he's top ten. Yeah, and there's another great thing. I mean, you just have to reference it. You got to speak about race here, and I'll be the one that does it because you know, I, it's it just popped in my head. Michael B. Jordan. There's great interviews out there about him coming up and like what it was like to be a black kid growing up. It was like who you want to be, Denzel. Yeah, of That's it. That's yeah. the only one. And so, like, it's what's so cool about that is not only has he influenced this next generation, but it's also inspired it. To now, you know, African American kids growing up in America can be like, well, I don't know. There's a million of them. Not a yeah. million, but there's there's dozens yeah. of them. As before, it used to just be like Denzel. Yeah. And and so I, I love that. And I, I completely agree. I think Denzel is a national treasure. 
and <laughs> he's also a national treasure on this show. <laughs> My last one is Gosling. Oh, interesting. You go young. I wanted to go young because I wanted to talk about someone that was on their way up. Yeah. You know, and someone that might be able to make it. And there's not... I love Hardy. I love Fassbender. Yeah. I think Gosling has the Newman effect. Yeah. And I think that he's going to... As long as he keeps doing what he's doing... And The Nice Guys was a really great thing for me because it showed you again... Look, we all know that Gosling is great at being in dramas. He's yeah. good at being in romantic comedies. He's good at being in romance movies. But that movie... Was just it was just so great for me because he's so funny too. Yeah, you know, and and the guy can do it all. You've seen it all. You've seen it from Half Nelson to Blue Valentine to the Nice Guys. He can do it all. So as long as he keeps and he's and, he, and we and women love him. I yeah. love him. I think he's gorgeous. The name we left off the list, who is the most likely candidate, that who's youngish, is DiCaprio. And it's only totally. And it's and the only thing about DiCaprio that is a little bit less on the radar is that he's a pretty quiet, pretty enigmatic public presence except when it comes to politics um he speaks out on like issues that he feels are important aside from that though he's really just a very talented actor and i do wonder what his career looks like in terms of the sort of marlon brando effect of like just working and working and working and keeping working feels hard to imagine dicaprio not being that guy because like but really his the meat of his career again has only been 15 to 20 years at this point he's got a lot of work to do the gosling thing i wonder is as gosling gets older does his tonality as a as a character actor expand beyond what we've seen him do a lot, which is playing like the really intense quiet guy, which is like the drive character, mm-hmm. the kind of zany funny guy, which is like we saw him do in Nice Guys, yeah, and Crazy Stupid Love is kind of like, like that a little cool, bit, yeah, but he's also way cool in it, yeah, and then like there's you know he has like his honest sort of sad guy, which is like Half Nelson and Blue Valentine, yeah, and, and I wonder if he's gonna age into. I guess feeling like a little less of a handsome guy. Is he going to be able to age into something where I feel like he could play that? Like dad? in the same sense where you feel like Brad Pitt kind of suffered from being too handsome early in his career. He's like not really. I I stopped being able to relate to Brad Pitt as somebody who I thought was going to get better as an actor. I don't feel like he improved in the last five. Yeah, minutes. you and I don't really see eye to eye, but I actually do agree. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm leaning more towards your side now with Pitt. Unfortunately, he's a great actor. Yeah. It's just like he's he has this one thing he does so much, and I don't feel like I see beyond Brad Pitt very often. So yeah, all right. So, let's move on. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the the guys that made this movie. Uh, really, really small team overall. Yeah. David Self writes the screenplay, and David Self is not somebody who you're like, oh, he did these other three huge movies. He did The Haunting, Thirteen Days, a cu- couple other movies that like aren't really super notable in this movie. This is yeah. basically his whole career. And the crazy part is he's the only screenwriter. It's based on a, a no- on a graphic novel by. Uh, by uh, Max Allen Collins and Richard Piers Rayner, not guys who did work that I remembered. And the people that I know that have read this comic book have all told me they took liberties with the screenplay and improved the story by, like, tenfold. Yeah. The movie's way better than the comic. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing that we that we really referenced in this movie that makes it feel like the movies that we love is that Jude Law uh, was not in the original comic, and I think he was very necessary in this film. Absolutely. And, and to speak to what you were saying earlier about Hanks being imposing is that's why they made Law the way he was. You know, they made him rodent-like and pale and kind of squirmy and small so that Hanks seemed like someone that Hanks could take on. Yeah. And I also read that uh, Law was, um, he was so disgusted by the way he looked. He was always wearing a cap when he wasn't filming. He hated it. Do you think, I, I read that too, and it made me think like, honestly, the thing I thought was like, come on, man. Right? Like, 
That's me what too. I, I, was I was like, like, what do you mean? Yeah, what I thought was just like, stop being such a pretty boy. Yeah, like, get over yourself, like, dude. This is huge for pretty boys. Yeah. This is the kind of role pretty boys die for. What, because you're like for. balding? Like, it's a character in a movie. What are you talking about? Yeah, dude, you're like an awesome villain by the end. You're like creepy and pale and balding. You got scars on your face. Like, yeah. awesome. Totally. I was like, you're kind of a bitch, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, but I mean, whatever. He's a great fucking actor. He's an incredible work that I love. So that yeah. is what it is. Um, but he also did end up getting into kind of a little bit of a character role as his career went on of playing these like very weak characters. He's incredibly yeah. weak in Closer, which is so funny because he is like such a like a charismatic presence when he wants to be. Yeah, you know, yeah. Closer is a great movie by the way. It's a very um, good movie. Directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, this is the follow up to Sam Mendes' debut film, American Beauty, which. Mendez has a very peculiar career, um, so let's just cover this production team, which he's a part of, quickly before we talk about his specific film career. Um, Mendez is one of three producers on this movie. Again, in a surprising turn while researching this, Mendez doesn't produce all his own movies. Like when you read that, like oh, he produced his second movie, he must produce all his movies. Right. Produce this and Revolutionary Road, and that's it. Again, like the guy's career makes no damn sense to me. It's weird. Um, and then the producers on the film, Dean Zanuck and Richard D. Zanuck, the late Richard D. Zanuck, legendary, legendary producer behind uncredited EP on Sound of Music, Jaws, The Verdict, Sugarland Express, Driving Miss Daisy, tons of movies, a bunch of Best Picture winners in there, blockbusters, like just big time stuff. So, you know, Richard D. Zanuck, and so <clears throat> Dean Zanuck was his son. This was Zanuck's second film, Dean's, his first being Reign of Fire. Um, <laughs> Great McConaughey film. Yep, and uh, Dean, that'd be a fun one for us to cover sometime. Yeah, who plays the villain in Reign of Fire? Do you know? I'm pretty sure I know off oh, the top of oh, my head. Oh, uh, is it is it um, is it uh, uh, 300? <laughs> no, uh, Xerxes. <laughs> no, isn't it? Uh, I'm fucking thirsty. I'm fucking thirsty. Is it your brother? Uh, I actually don't know. I was thinking it might be uh, someone else, but you could be right. I just want to know. I'm it's either wondering. Gerard Butler or it's. Uh, Christian Oscar Bale. Isaac. Oh, and oh, uh, and Gerard Butler's in it. Bale's Bale not McCul- the villain, though. Is he? No, he's. I think he's the good guy. Fucking, or one of the good guys. Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey, and Gerard Butler yeah. are in Reign of Fire. Yeah, I think Butler's the villain. Yeah, I think you're right. Good pull. That's a good pull, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that'd be a sweet that's one pretty, to come. That's pretty funny. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I want to talk about Sam Mendes. Yeah, I want to talk it. about his career because it doesn't make any damn sense right. at all. So he's got American Beauty. Who doesn't know American Beauty? Yeah, one of you know, one best picture. Time. He won. He wins uh, best director. Best director, and then he goes and he does this right afterwards. Which again, we don't really know what's wrong with this film, no. the anomaly behind it, but it's fantastic. And then he goes on to do movies like Revolutionary Road and Spectre and Skyfall. And Jarhead. I'm missing, uh, yeah, Jarhead and in two thousand. Away we go, which is his indie comedy. And like, I don't love Jarhead, but it's not bad. A lot of people really like that movie. This movie's fantastic. There's uh, a there's American a, Beauty is still excellent to this day. One of my favorites. Uh, there's a perception thing that happens. Um, this happens to people. So the villain is McConaughey. Really? <laughs> Butler is not the villain. The dragon is the villain. <laughs> That's been a long time. Um, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. When you, uh, I did remember watching that movie. Uh, when when you come out and your debut film is American Beauty, and you're 33 years old when you make it, and it wins Best Picture. And it's this definitive movie that year. It wasn't one of those years where people were like, oh, what's going to win in 1999? Is it going to be, you know, Boys Don't Cry or Girl Interrupted? It was like, no, American Beauty was just going to win the whole time. That's always what was going to happen. Um, And that movie wins Best Picture, and and everybody's like, Kevin Spacey is just amazing, and this movie was so beautiful, and the music was incredible, and 
cinematography was unbelievable. I think there was an expectation, that's, and it's what happens to people. And I think the expectation was so high for Road to Perdition because of everything we talked about that I don't think people disliked it. I just think it was like they would have had to do something else yeah, I mean, to stand I, I get out it. for you people. Definitely, you definitely love it a little more than I do. And part of that could just be the whole father-son aspect could as be, well. Because yeah. so like, I know that's a bit, yeah, it speaks to you strongly, and um, I can't really relate to it as well. But even so... This movie is still a very, very, very good film by all standards. So Jarhead's the next movie in 05, and yeah. Jarhead, I think, is the one where you start to talk about perception. There was an idea behind Jarhead that it was going to be this, like, one half of the people that saw it coming out was like, Sam Mendes, this will be an interesting war movie, like a psychological thing, and then one half people were like, oh, war movie, sweet, 2005, this is great. Yeah, Iraq war is going on. Exactly. And people saw that movie for weird reasons. There was really no action. It's Jamie Foxx and Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Uh, I know it's Hall. I think you're right with Fox. And Fox had just won Best Actor, so again, it was right. like, it was a big movie that year. And, and a big director. Yeah, and, and I think that that movie, that's the one to me that I, I, when I look back on, I'm like, that's just so weird that that's Sam Mendes. And then 2005 is Revolutionary Road. 05 is Jarhead. 08 is Revolutionary I mean, 08 yeah. is Revolutionary Road, and then, which is interesting, because that, that movie was really highly regarded, but it was only because of the acting. Because of Winslet and Leo yeah and it was there and it was their return to screen together yeah and like it was interesting that when I went and did the first of all he's directed what eight films nine uh, eight those four eight with nine in the work he's got a ninth one in the works and the two Bond movies yeah, yeah so and so like when I went and saw that and Sam Mendes is one of those names you hear you're like I know that name right? right and you go back and you look you're like wait this is American Beauty this is you know Road to Perdition this is Skyfall and it in Revolutionary Road is also another really big one that stands out to me that it's just like this is another huge movie. I remember working at Blockbuster. I remember the Academy Awards that year. It yep. was a huge movie, and he got no credit. Yeah, it kind of it was one of those movies that the hype was out of control because of because of Mendez and because of those two actors, and it missed a little bit for some people. It was a really slow movie. I saw this in theaters, and you know the general audience believes that <clears throat> Skyfall, or not the general audience. Let me say the everyone that doesn't think that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. what's the first movie Casino Royale is yeah. the best in the, the Craig uh, franchise yeah, I think Skyfall's they think Skyfall is the next best yeah. now he also directed Spectre which we'll Awful. just let that go because it hadn't happened yet but even then Skyfall is still good and I, I know Bond is a massive franchise but it's not the same as it used to be no no, no, I, and Skyfall. I, I would agree. Skyfall's number two in that in yeah, that run yeah, behind definitely. Casino because two and four are not good movies. Um, I don't even particularly like Skyfall, but I don't think it's bad. Um, I just like Javier. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about ranking these movies. I'll go first and say I have never seen Away We Go. I've never seen his. That's his indie comedy. Yeah, I think. Let, how about we just do like top three then, or five or something? Well, let's. I mean, we'll I just do them all. We, we, we've both seen I mean, them there's, all. There's I think, eight of them, except for that one. Okay. Uh, Neither yeah. of us have seen that movie, right? Yeah. So well, Away We Go. So we'll we'll strike that from the record because it's the only movie that's like not a big movie. Yeah, um, I think we can both agree that American Beauty is one. Absolutely, American right. Beauty is one. I think we both agree that this is two. Perdition is two. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um, after that, I think it gets a little harder, and I would almost lean towards. I would almost, I, I guess, Skyfall. Yeah, I think you got to go Skyfall. I mean, I guess this is kind of. I guess us literally going through this exercise right now is kind of explaining why. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not because I I don't... If your persist- second best movie you've ever made is Road to Perdition and your best movie is American Beauty, there's still a big gap there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't love Skyfall. People love Skyfall. But exactly. Skyfall is an intelligent and unique Bond movie. And yeah. I think the people that don't like Skyfall for the most part feel like it's a it's a melodramatic Bond movie that doesn't feel like what you want out of Bond. Right, and I think then if you, if you do know Skyfall very well and you're also a big fan of Revolutionary Road, I think Revolutionary Road is probably actually the better film yeah. on paper. So I think you go Revolutionary Road next, right? Yep, I would go for because it's slow, and that's the reason Revolutionary Road is, is not a good movie in my mind. It's just like a really like it's just a slow fucking movie. It's like a relationship that's failing and like yeah. I, I think that there's some suicide or something. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just intense. It's just like dark and intense and slow. And so I what it really comes down to is what's better, Jarhead or Spectre. Oh, Jarhead by a mile. Right? Absolutely. Spectre's that's what I have. Spectre was awful. It was an abomination of film for yeah. us. And I I hope we go back and watch it one day, and it's much better. But we've said we've told the story many times on the show, and we told it on the, the Casino Royale with, uh, episode with our friend Kathy Kelly. We were doing Spectre that week. We went and saw it together, or I went and saw it, and it was. We both had saw it separately. No, with Haggerty, we all saw it. Together. Oh yeah, me, you, and ha- and it was just like, what the fuck is going on? It was almost like somebody said, "Hey, there wasn't enough uh, action in Skyfall, so you, you're going to need to start it out with a big, cool action sequence," which they did, and, and it then, wasn't that. I mean, it was it was coolish. It was the best part of the movie, and then the rest <laughs> of that absolutely. movie was terrible. So anyway, I think that's a pretty no, dumb. No. Uh, we didn't. It's not that we didn't like Skyfall. We do think it's the second best in the the Craig franchise, and I like it more than you do. Yep. Uh, it's just that it's not as good. It's not. It's just not as close as not even close to Casino Royale. No, my Casino's opinion. awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, Skyfall is a polarizing one. So I think the ranking for us there of Sam Mendes films are American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Skyfall, Revolutionary Road, Jarhead, and Spectre. With Away We Go as the footnote that neither of us have seen. So unfair to rank it though i've heard it's quite good so yeah yeah i actually have as well uh let's continue moving down the list here guys let's get into critical and box office yeah so this is uh pretty interesting it was uh produced by dreamworks it cost 80 million dollars to make i'm sure a lot of that went to star power as the sets were not crazy uh wardrobe was really tough i remember reading about it was really hard for them to find um the clothes for this because you couldn't look cool during the prohibition right you, everyone was poor so they uh, they found a designer in town anyway. Um, Eighty million dollars to make. It was released in July of two thousand and two. It grossed one hundred and four million dollars and an additional seventy six uh, worldwide for a grand total of one hundred and eighty one million dollars. Now this is super interesting to me. It nope. opened number two. What would I, would I say? Behind something? Men in Black Two. Yeah, behind Men in Black Two, but it was only by two million dollars. Yeah, Men in Black Two made twenty four million dollars its opening weekend, and and this made twenty two, which is crazy to me because Men in Black, Men in Black, <laughs> Men in Black, as you and I both know, uh, the good guys dressed in black. Remember that? Just in case you ever face to face and make contact. Yeah, there was actually a cool reference to Men in Black on the uh, last Schmodown match. Now. Uh, it was massive. Yeah, huge. Huge. Will Smith was like the biggest thing in the world. Tommy Lee Jones was in his prime, and everyone loved Men in Black. So, again, this movie was only $2 million behind Men in Black 2 when it came out, and still it was just forgotten. I just <laughs> don't get it. So, critical 7.7 on IMDb, which you think is low. Yeah, this. I mean, this, to me, this is a movie that feels like just Newman's performance alone should bring it up more to like an 8. Like, yeah. Like an 8, 8.1. And if you look at the Rotten Tomato score, all critics gave it an 81. Top gives it a 76, and the audience gives it an 86, which totally follows the formula for our show. And it also, for me, I do feel like 7.7. I just feel like it should have an 8. Like, it doesn't even have to be in the top 250, but yeah. just like a flat 8 seems much more respectable and yeah, legitimate. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, yeah, so I think that moves us on to our favorite line. Which I think we both have the same favorite line. We're just going to cue the scene up here. Steve, if you don't mind uh, cueing that, that sucker up. This is just my favorite scene in the movie, and it just has 
everything about it. It's just great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I also do really like the Stanley Tucci. Those same people are protecting you now. I love that scene too. Yeah, Tucci's great. Yeah, he's, he's just a great actor. Did you watch the Capone deleted scene? No, I heard it was a good one. Was it not? It's worth cutting. I read about it. Yeah, it's yeah. worth cutting. Totally takes like the legendary value out of him. I didn't think I'd see you again. Read this. Connor's been stealing from you for years. He's kept accounts open under the names of dead men. Men like them governs. I stood there and helped him kill Finn to line his own pockets. I thought I was working for you. But I wasn't. You think I'd give up my son? He was betraying you. I know. <laughs> Such now a delivery. I tried to avoid more bloodshed. You wouldn't accept that, so I did what was necessary. But I've always loved you like a son. And now I'm telling you, leave. Got a good accent. Before it's too late. Kills it. Think. He was still trying. He hired a voice coach, Think. you know. And they're protecting Dialect. him now. But when you're gone, they're not going to need him anymore. This ends with Connor dead, no matter what. That may be. But you are asking me to give you the key to his room so you can walk in, put a gun to his head, and pull the trigger. And I can't do that. He murdered Annie and Peter. There are only murderers in this room. Michael, open your eyes. Unbelievable line. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. Incredible. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. That's perfect. You can, you can cut it there, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there that, are only murders in this room is, is my favorite line in the movie. Yeah, but I, it's, I, it's mine as well, and, and so is... I mean, yeah. I not want to cut you off, but you were going to say it. Yeah, there's no guarantee that's that none of us are going to go to heaven. Absolutely. And when I watched this movie again, probably eight weeks ago, I you know I tweeted about this as one of the great underrated films. Uh, I that scene was the one where I was just like, God, how like right? What this movie's so good. But there there's all of them. The yeah. Tucci scene, the scene in the rain, the scene with the guy that is supposed to kill him. Yeah. This scene, the scene like. The scene with him and his yeah. son at the end with Law, like, it's it's fantastic. So um, that moves us into one other thing, uh, or a couple other things, but I want to get to our AMA question. This is brought to us by Max Alexander. Yeah, AMA question, just if you guys are wondering, Sorry. is uh, you guys, you know, tweet questions at us or you leave them in the Facebook group, uh, hashtag AMA question, and they will often show up on the show. We'll answer those questions. So today, as you mentioned, we have one from Facebook. Yeah, it's Max Alexander on Facebook, and he says, what do we think of Mendez using water to signify death? Too heavy-handed as to be a distraction or an artistic achievement? So you, I, I'm assuming you're, he's referring to the scene outside in the rain? No. Every time anyone dies in this film, there's, there's water involved. Uh, if you look at when the guy gets capped in the thing, I think everyone's sweating. I think uh, his wife and son are taking a bath. Oh. Uh, it's raining outside when the guy gets capped in the beginning, and Michael's covered. He's soaked wet. Michael's by the water. He's when by the ocean shot. at the end. Exactly. It's every single death is is all water. And I want to speak to it because, first of all, it's a great question. Thank you, Max. Yeah. And uh, thanks to all you guys for all your questions. We can we cannot cover all of them, but. In American Beauty, the red mm-hmm. was a beautiful part of, of uh, symbology, of symbolism. And um, it's one of those things that it was used the first time, and it was masterful, and it was brilliant, and it was groundbreaking and yeah. revolutionary. Do you wonder if using the water so much in the second one is maybe part of why 
Mendes' legacy died. Uh, no, because honestly, you had to explain it to me just now, and I just watched this movie for the second time in eight weeks, for the third time in my life, and really, it didn't. It didn't like feel like it was a thing. Like if I had really thought about that, maybe it would have resonated, but it didn't distract me. It never. I didn't feel like there was any, uh, you know, any moment that like they replaced the death scene with just like water or something. Yeah, yeah, fair. What do you think? Um, you know what? No, I, I, I really appreciate your question, and I, and I love that as a as a movie movie viewer that you brought that up, and I like that you brought it to my attention as well. But it doesn't feel super heavy handed. Uh, if you go in thinking about it, you'll be like, oh yeah, it happens a lot. Even when Connor gets shot, he's in a bathtub. Um. But I actually think it's cool. I, I actually, I, I really like it. It's not, it's not too much for it's me. It's subtle for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, great question though, and 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 I hope with the other questions, there's a lot of them floating around about over, under, proper, under siege, over siege, and properly siege. Thanks again for that. That's excellent. Very smart. Like uh, about Sam Mendez, and um, I hope that we kind of covered that on the episode. Absolutely. So. Uh, it's funny, I'm going to skip over it really quickly here, but Cage versus Cruz is a segment we used to do a lot of, which is who would uh, embody the lead role better, Tom Cruise or Nick Cage. And honestly, I think that in O2... Look, there are only murders in this room. O2, Nick Cage was nominated for, for Best Sporting Actor for Adaptation. He yeah. totally could have He totally could have knocked this role out of the park, honestly, at that point in his career. From you. Uh, <laughs> Hank, or I mean Cruz. <laughs> there are only murderers in this room. <laughs> Michael. There's only one guarantee. None of us are going to heaven. Uh, I can't do that Uh, alright so the next thing is which of the three categories does this movie fall into Uh, totally ridiculous which are movies like Face Off They Fall Off the Cliff of Absurdity Demolition Man uh, which I love totally legitimate that's going to be movies like Lone Survivor The Fugitive uh, and movies that are ridiculously legitimate the middle category Predator Speed Point Break they're driven by one really credible thing but you know they're a little silly and for me I think with the expanse into these other categories in this show it's less common that we have a discrepancy anymore. So for me, this movie's clearly totally legitimate. It's, that's, it's a totally legitimate movie. Action movies are more ambiguous. Really good dramas like this, they're usually just legit. Like, we're not going to do it unless it's legit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is totally legit. Um, hopefully you guys agree with us. So, there's just one last thing on the show here to do, and that's going to be called The Pitch. What's up, guys? And, uh, guys, so uh, this is this is how we're going to do this this week. Uh, as you know, you can follow us on Twitter at AMA Podcast. You can go find the Facebook group, uh, fa- uh, Action Movie Enemy Fan Page. You should do that. And, of course, us personally at Ben Bateman Media and Andrew Guy. So, for next week's show, for the pitch, we're going to put it in your hands, but we're going to put up a few options inspired by our upcoming match against Team Trek, which I think we believe is airing on Tuesday. I believe it's Tuesday next week, so by the time Wednesday rolls around, when AMA airs next week, we will either be in very good spirits or in very poor spirits. Yes, and uh, if we're incorrect and that doesn't air until the end of the week, so be it. Either way, next week is the week that we take on Team Trek, and the movie we cover on the show next week is going to be decided by you, fans of the show, so we'll put up a poll of, of three or four movies that relate to that match in some way, whether they're sci-fi, Star Trek-related, fighting-related. It's gonna be awesome, so go ahead and uh, follow on those platforms so you Absolutely. guys can vote. That's the way to do it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, we'll see you same time, same place, next week. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 